I will be speaking on Wednesday nights for however long it takes to finish this, because I'm going to be talking about the nine tests that every Christian must face. Nine tests that every Christian must face. So that way you'll know that if you're going through it, if you're going through this test tonight, and there's a lot of tests, okay? Tonight I'm going to be talking about the wilderness test. But there's a service test, there's a patience test, there's a time test, there's all kinds of tests. And uh, we're going to be talking all about them. But tonight, it's the wilderness. Anybody ever gone through the wilderness? Okay. If some of you are saying, I don't know what the wilderness is, you'll know. And then you'll probably say, oh, that's what I'm going through. So uh, tonight, it's the wilderness test. And it's Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 2 and 3, and then we're going to jump down to verses 16 and 17. Okay? So 2 and, and we're reading from the uh, New Living Translation. It says... Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would really obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people need more than bread for their life. Real life comes by feeding on every word of the Lord. Jump down to verse 16. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did it so that you would never think that it was your own strength and energy that made you wealthy. Turn around and say, are you going through the wilderness? Go ahead and have a seat. Now it's getting hot. <laughs> I'm under these lights. <laughs> the word wilderness, it's defined as a desert place. It's a place that has not been planted. It's uncultivated. It's a place where people do not live. They don't live in the wilderness. It's just a place that you kind of pass through when you're going from one place to another. It's, it's a place of disorder. It's a place that you really don't want to set up your house in. You want to just get out of there as quickly as possible. Anybody ever been through the, the deserts that we have here in California? It's like you don't want to live there. You want to just leave. Right now, I want the desert because I'm cold, but, but you really don't want to stay there. But some of the places that we understand as places of wilderness are times when we go through difficulties. That's a time of wilderness in our life, a time when we have so much pressure. We have bills. We have our job. We have our mortgage. We have our car payment. We have utilities. We have our children. All of those pressures can sometimes signify a wilderness. Sometimes we don't have enough finances. We don't have enough resources for whatever we need to pay out. We don't have it. And that can be a time of a wilderness for us. When we're having times of opposition, maybe our marriages aren't going too well. Maybe our children are acting up. Maybe our boss or our co-worker or our best friend, we just had a, 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 a difficulty, a, a conflict with them. And all of that can signify a place in the wilderness. 
one of the questions that most of us ask when we're going through the wilderness is, why? Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this happening to me? And usually we ask those questions of why is it happening to me when we see bad things happen to good people. You ever seen bad things happen to good people? You're like, man, I wonder how come that happened to them. And, and I know that some of us think, well, I wonder if they're really in sin. That's not, that's not why things happen to us. That's, that's not even biblical. We ask, why is this happening when bad things happen to good people? We ask when we push forth a lot of effort and we don't really get the results of the effort. We push forth a lot of work. We do a lot of things. It's like we go out and we pass out 50,000 flyers and we get three people. Or we go out and we tell everybody what they need to, and nobody shows up. We put forth a lot of effort into praying and fasting, and we don't get the result that we're looking for. We can feel like we're in the wilderness. Maybe we feel like we're in the wilderness when we expect success, but it just doesn't happen when we want it. It's delayed. It's like on a long train. Long, long train. We can't ever see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's that long. Sometimes we feel like we're in the wilderness when we look at the wicked. Man, they're downright sinners. And we see that they're prospering and we're not. They're getting the houses. They're getting the cars. They're getting the promotions. They're getting the finances. They got their kids. They got all this going for them. And here you are in your little hoopty. You know. There you are with, you know, you just got your wages garnished. You can't pay your, your uh, PG&E. You're out of gas. And you got all, and, and you look at them, you go, they're not even serving God. And look at them. Look at the house that they live in. And look at that, those cars. And look at the money. And we begin to say, why? That's when we begin to feel like we're in the wilderness. When the wicked prosper, and the righteous struggle. People tend to deal with difficulties better when they know that what they're going through is going to serve a purpose. People tend to go through their trials easier when they know that their trial is going to produce something. It's going to make the enduring even that much more bearable. And that's why each of you need to commit to memory Romans 8.28, because every trial that we go through, every time of wilderness, every testing in our life always has eight, Romans 8.28 stamped on it. It's stamped on it. For we know that all things, not, all, not some things, all things work together for good to them that are the call, to them that are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. You know that that is my scripture because my husband died on 8, 28. And when I asked the Lord, Lord, what was the purpose? He said, look at the date, 8, 28. I'm going to make something good out of this. I am going to produce something good. There is going to be a purpose for this testing. 
not just for you and for the church, but for the ministry. There is going to be good that's coming out of it. And look, as I look out, you're the good. You're the good. You're saved. You're sanctified. You're delivered. You're serving God. Give the Lord a hand for that. The purpose of every test, every test that we're going to be talking about on Wednesdays, every test that you and I go through is so that we would be able to understand what needs to be revealed in our life. There is stuff in our life that we don't even know we got. There is stuff in our life that we don't really know who we are until we go through a time of testing. We don't know what's in there, but a testing reveals it. A test reveals what we have inside. And sometimes it's not too pretty. Sometimes we don't look that pretty. We look pretty on the outside, handsome on the outside. But then we open our mouth, not too pretty. So why the wilderness test? There's a couple of reasons, and there were in the scriptures that I read. Number one, to humble us. Oh, who, hate, who likes to be humbled? Nobody. But I'll tell you what, I would much rather humble myself than let God humble me. For those of you who have trouble humbling yourself, do it. Eat dirt. <laughs> Eat rug. Whatever you got to do, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Because if, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And when you're humbled by God, oh, Lord. The whole world knows. When you humble yourself, you know, sometimes we have a hard time humbling ourselves to people that just, like, irritate us. They just, like, oh, they irritate us. We don't want to humble ourselves to them. We want them to humble themselves to us. And God says, humble yourself. So if you're going through a wilderness test, it might be because you need to be humbled. God just might be wanting to humble you. Another reason why you might be going through the wilderness test is to test your character. Sometimes when we start going through the wilderness test, things come out of our mouth that should not be coming out of our mouth. When we go through the wilderness test, sometimes we start getting negative. And we had a joke uh, when we were in the Philippines and and one of the guys was talking about Barnabas and how Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And that's his name in the Bible. And, and so after that message was spoken, then all of a sudden we're, we're outside. And, and then he started to complain. He started to say, oh, man, it's so hot. I can't even breathe here. And look at him sweating. And I said, excuse me, Barney? <laughs> he goes, Barney? I go, yeah, because you're not Barnabas right now. You're Barney. And he goes, oh, man, I don't want that name. I go, okay, then. Don't be negative. So that became our joke. So if somebody's negative and they hear you're, they're sitting next to you, call them Barney. <laughs> then, then buy him a purple shirt or a purple dress. And <laughs> okay. Another reason why you might have to go through the wilderness test is to teach you and I that we need more than bread. Because sometimes we look for the obvious. That's what the Israelites did. They were going through the wilderness for the 40 years and they were saying, we need bread. 
We're hungry. We need bread. I need to be able to touch it. I need to be able to eat it. I need to be able to feel it. And God is saying, no, you don't need that. You need me. But we're so used to looking for the bread. We're so used to looking for what we can see. We want the checkbook to have dollar signs. We want the food pantry to be full. We want the car to be full of gas. We want things that we can see. And God is saying, you need to be able to see beyond that. And sometimes we go through the wilderness just, just to teach us that we need more than bread. We need more than the obvious. We need him more than anything else. Sometimes we, need, we go through the wilderness test because we need the discipline for our lives. Some of us, we really need discipline. I know I could always, always use more discipline in my life. That's one of my prayers every day. Lord, help me to discipline my life more and more and more. Because if we don't discipline it, life will discipline it for us. It'll just have us going from here to there. Sometimes we wake up and we let life tell us how to live. We live our life by just how things happen instead of us determining and us disciplining our life of how we're going to live it. So we might be going through the wilderness test to reveal to us that it's not our own strength that makes us prosper. Sometimes we forget that your job, your money, your car, your family was given to you by God. Sometimes we think we did it all on our own. The Bible says that everything, everything belongs to him. Everything. So everything that you have, the clothes on your back, the money that God gave you to buy it, the car that you're driving, the house that you're living in, everything that you have or are using was given to you by God. There is not one thing that you have that was not given to you by God. Everything. And sometimes we have to go through the wilderness test to remind us that it was not in our own strength that we have this stuff, but it's only by God. So sometimes these testings occur, this wilderness tests occur, just so that we won't forget God. Because how many of us know when we start getting blessed, oh man, it's so easy to forget God. When we're hurting, man, we're right there. We're, oh God, oh God. And then God brings a blessing, and we're like, we're just rejoicing. And we forget. We forget the altar that we were crying out to him. And we're like, oh, thank you, God. And we go on our merry way. The wilderness test reminds us not to forget God. The wilderness test also reminds us that we need to learn to trust him. Sometimes that wilderness lasts a little bit longer than we want it to. But this is where we learn to trust him. I've been through so many wilderness times in my life that I can that's why I can tell you God is faithful. Because of the wilderness times that I have been in my life, I have learned to trust him. I didn't have anybody else to trust. Who else was I going to trust? I couldn't trust anybody. He was the only one I could trust. And he always came through. Every wilderness test. Sometimes the test occurs just so that our faith in God would grow stronger. We have to allow the testings in our life to grow our faith. Some of you are wondering, well, you know, I don't have enough faith for that, and I don't have enough faith for that. If you're in the wilderness test, don't try to get out of it sooner than what you're supposed to. Because, see, you know, we know the game. 
We know how to make it happen. If it's not happening, we know how to make it happen. Some of you made it happen all the time. And sometimes you got yourself in a predicament because you made it happen. So instead of trying to find an easy way out of the wilderness, which is what we're always looking for, we're in the wilderness and we're looking like, okay, where's, where's the shortcut here? I need a shortcut. We're always looking for a way to get out. And God says, just go through it so that your faith may grow, so that it may increase, so that you may know that you know that you know that I will be there for you in every step of the way. Don't look for a shortcut. That's the enemy's way to shortcut you and your growth in faith. That's the enemy's way to shortcut you out of this test. It's only through the testing that you're actually going to be able to grow in your faith. And then the testing also occurs so that you would be able to minister to other people who are in the wilderness. You can't share the victory of the wilderness unless you've gone through the wilderness. I can't tell you the fun that I had at Disneyland if I never went. I could only tell you what I saw in commercial. I, see, I can tell you all the fun and the joys that are there in the Philippines. I can tell you all the poverty that is there in the Philippines. But unless you go there and experience it, it's just talk. You have to be able to go through the wilderness and you actually have to be able to come out of it so that you can be able to share the victory that you experienced when you were going through it. See, God allows us to lack sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we have this fuzzy idea that because we're Christians, we're never going to lack. We're always going to have money in our account. We're always going to have gas in our car. Our kids are always going to be obedient to us. Our husbands and our wives are always going to be loving and caring and servant-like. We have this idea that Christianity is just perfection. I hope if you've been serving God one week, you realize that's not how it is. That is a dream. That is what's going to happen when we're in heaven. Until then, we got to live with it. We, it's a constant working. It's a constant battle. Besides, we're not going to be married in heaven. There are no husbands and wives. Some of you are going, great. <laughs> and some of you are going, oh, I'll miss you. I'll see you. We'll know, we'll know our spouses, but we won't, we're not married to them because we're not there for them. We're there for him. That's what it's going to be all about. Amen? So sometimes we have to lack in order to be able to see who God is and who our provider is. He will supply our needs in ways that we're not used to. Like, I remember I've shared this so many times that, you know, I've always tithed, not always. I, when I, I first learned how to tithe when I was very, very young in the Lord. And my faith has increased consistently. I haven't tithed 10%. I've always tithed 15 to 20% for the last, I don't know, maybe 15 years. And, and it's always been that. And because of that, because of that, I attribute my children's health for all their life to that. So that the blessings didn't come to me monetarily. Because there were times where I didn't even have $2 for gas. My husband, if anybody remembers him, he was famous for $2 a gas. 
he had, he had a big old Lincoln that the church gave him, and every time he'd pull up to the gas station, $2. I was like, $2 is not going to fill it. It's okay, we'll get there, we'll get there. He had so much faith. <laughs> Crazy faith. But um, there's sometimes that God will meet our need not in the same way that we invest. So when we're going through the wilderness, we have to be able to look at the blessings that we are experiencing because sometimes we're saying, well, God, I gave that $50 and that was all I had. I'm expecting some back. And he says, I've given you your health. I've given you your children. I've given you a roof over your head. And we don't look at the blessings. We look at what we want to look at. We look at what we don't have. And God is saying, take a look around. Just like the children of Israel, when they were, when they were out there, you know what they failed to look at? They failed to look at that their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out in 40 years. Some of us don't even have shoes for 40 days. Kids wear out shoes in two months, two weeks. Sometimes it just seems like, man, last week we just bought them and they're outgrown already. That's how it seems. But the children of Israel had the same clothes for 40 years. And the sandals for 40 years, and they never wore out. Talk about blessing. Where were they going to go? There wasn't a shoe shop around there. No shoe shop in the wilderness. There was no place for them to go buy clothes in the wilderness. God understood that. And that's what you and I need to understand, that when we're going through the wilderness time, God will always secure us. Sometimes if we just have bread and milk and rice and beans, you're set. You have the feast of a king. Rice and beans, we got the best diet of all diets. I am serious. I have traveled the world, and it's always rice and beans that I come back to. It's always rice and beans that is the healthiest. Beans give you all the protein you need, and rice gives you all the starch you need, and there's your balance. And throw in a tortilla, man, the feast of a king with chili. You need all that. That's a feast of a king. He supplies all of our needs. Sometimes we go through the wilderness test so that we can remember that we need to be dependent on him and not on anyone else. Not on our spouses, not on our boss, not on our jobs. Putting him first. You know that one of the biggest struggles in the Philippines, and, and I even, you know, it's a big part here too, is putting God first on Sunday. The Asian culture works seven days a week. Not just the Philippines, but the Asian culture. And they think absolutely nothing of it. They need to work. It's like their culture. What, not work on Sunday? It's like not working on a Monday. And they work seven days a week. And, and I had to talk to them about putting God first. And it's very, very difficult because... They struggle with, well, if I shut down my shop or if I don't sell my goods on Sunday, then my children aren't going to eat. Then I'm not going to be able to buy food or I can't buy clothes or I, I don't have any money for a jeepney or I, I can't do this, I can't do that. And it's the increase of faith that needs to develop. But even that takes place even here in America. And it even takes place here in this church where we do things on Sunday instead of putting God first. And then we expect God's blessing. 
And it doesn't happen like that. You need to put him first in your time. You need to put him first in your talents. You need to put him first in your treasure. You need to put him first in your testimony. And then the blessings of God come. It's biblical. It is biblical. Putting him first. We need to remember that we are dependent on him. He also allows us to be stressed. He also allows us sometimes to suffer pain. Because when those things happen, who do we cry out to? We cry out to God. We cry out to God. And sometimes those things are allowed in our life. Those wilderness times. If you've ever been in pain, if you've ever been in the hospital, if you've ever been, you know, in the place where you're totally stressed, you feel alone. And that is where he'll allow you to go through that so that you can cry out to him. And you'll know that he's with you there in the wilderness. Because God is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. He's more interested in changing us and changing who we are than making sure that we, we've got, you know, have it made in the shade with lemonade. We don't see our weaknesses until circumstances reveal it. I remember the first time that I didn't have money to pay my rent. And it was like, oh my gosh, I, I got stressed. I was still single. I wasn't married yet. But I got stressed out. I don't have enough money for my rent. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay it? And I, I just started going like, you know, just round and round and round. Anybody understand that? I mean, I was like stressing out. And my rent was like all of $105 back then. Just a little while ago. It was $105, and I didn't have the money for rent. And I was stressing out. And I remember that I got to the point where I was even crying, like stressing, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm just like stressing myself and, and, and getting to the point where, you know, I was ready to scream. And, and so clearly, God spoke to my heart. So clearly, he goes, hello. Where am I in this situation? And I was like, well, God, you're there. I know you're there, but, but I need this now. I need it now. They're going to kick me out. I mean, I was imagining the worst. I was going to get kicked out and I have all my stuff on the street. And, you know, your imagination just goes crazy. And, you know, I had to, I called a friend and I was crying to her. And she, she just like snapped me out of it. She goes, what are you worried about? Is not God your father? Is not God on the throne? And I was like, well, yeah, but I need it now. He's up there. I need it now. <laughs> and she was able to bring the word to me, and she was able to bring me to the point where I understood. And I remembered, I remembered God had taken me through this wilderness test before. When we forget the wilderness test, and we go through it again, we forget what happened last time. And we need to remember what God did in our last wilderness test to remind us that what he did last time, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He will do it again. Sometimes those circumstances reveal our character, and my character didn't look too good back then. Sometimes impatience is revealed when what we want doesn't happen. 
I mean, I come from probably what I think is the most patient country in the world, the Philippines. Everybody is so patient. They walk so slow. They're just like, they walk on cruise control. You know, and, and I, I mean, I'm walking. I'm like, I'm fast, and I'm and they're just looking at me like, whoa. Well, first of all, they look at me because I'm the only one in, I think, the whole country that has curly hair because they all have straight hair. But then I, I'm just walking fast, and they're just, they're just slow. And then um, the traffic is like, it's horrendous. You can't even understand. We don't even have traffic like they do. But they're so patient, you know. They're just patient. Like, they just let one person go, another person go. And we stood at one stoplight, and I am not exaggerating in the least, 15 minutes. Because everybody was letting everybody go. It's okay, go ahead, you go, no, you go. And I'm like, I'm telling the driver, go! And he's like, well, yeah, but this one has to go. I'm like, forget that, we gotta go! You know, and he's looking at me like, what is your problem? I'm getting like, I've been here 15 minutes, get out of here, you know? It's too long already. My impatience reveals my lack of character when it comes to traffic, I can't handle it. That was the wilderness test. Pride is revealed when we're forced to do something that is very small. When somebody asks you, can you pick up that paper? How many of us have said, why don't you do it? Can you, can you wash that dish? Whoa, is your hand broken? You know, don't we come out with real quick retorts when somebody asks us to do something that we think is beneath us? If we can wash this or pick that up or do this or do that, we think, not me. <laughs> Let somebody else do it. Somebody else who has a lesser position than me. I mean, I've been in the home for six months. He's only been here one month. Let him do it. I've been in this church for six years. They've only been here three months. Let them do it. That's pride. And it's revealed when we're asked to do something that we think is small. Stubbornness is revealed when we're forced to do something that we don't want to do. We're asked to, can you usher? Can you do security? Can you do children's ministry? We're like, no, no, and no. I did not come to church today to do that. I came to sit and receive. How much are you going to receive when you got a stubborn attitude? You're not going to be able to receive anything. Amazes me how people can, can say no, no, and no, and then sit here and raise their hands. It's like God is saying, you know, you probably would have gotten more being in there with the kids or, or serving in some way than you did in here. Because in here, you don't even make an altar call. In there, the kids would have ministered to you. <laughs> they would have ministered to you. Because they do. They really do. Idolatry is revealed when we're asked to sacrifice those things that, are mattered, that matter a lot to us. Sometimes we have stuff, we have things that we know we need to do away with, we need to part with. We have five cars. We have five, of, I don't know, whatever it is. But when we want to hold on to them and God to say, you know, you really need to get rid of this. And you're like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. 
and we, we have duplicates and duplicates and duplicates, and it becomes an idolatry, and all of that is revealed. I, there was one girl that I remember, um, she told me, I'm not exact, she told me she had 64 pairs of jeans. How do you wear 64 pairs of jeans? She goes, well, they're, they're, they're all different. Are you sure? <laughs> How do you know? Jeans are jeans. I told her, get rid of those idols. She got rid of about 30. So that was good, though, because it revealed that God was doing something in her life just to get rid of that. Immaturity is revealed when we can't have our way. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we find ourselves in the wilderness when we can't have our way. When it's told to you, no, you can't do it. Now, I don't know how Leo and Terry would have reacted if when they said, we want to get married next month, and I said, no. And they're like, okay. How would, how would you react if you were told no? The immaturity would come out. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it my way. Then the blessings of God don't come, and then you're wondering later on why everything is happening to you. Self-will is revealed when we're required to do something that we don't have a desire to do. We're like, can you help paint? I don't know how to paint. Well, can you just try? No, I don't even want to try. Can you do, you know, anything that is asked, if it's out of your line, you won't even try. That's a self-will. That's a stubborn will. And then the last is self-centeredness. It's revealed when you're forced to serve others. Forced. When we're, we're asking for journey group leaders, and there's some of you are saying, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to serve people. I'm tired of serving people. And we're, and we're saying we need people to open up their homes, and we don't want to. That's self-will. And then you're wondering why you're going through wilderness after wilderness after wilderness. Matthew 12, 35 says this, The good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Some of the testings that you and I are going to go through, especially in the wilderness, they're inevitable. They're going to happen. They are going to happen. They're continual. They're necessary. And they're given specifically by God. It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not that person that cut you off on the freeway. It's not any of those people. It's not somebody that's in this church. It's not somebody that's outside of the church. It is God. Every test is crafted specifically for you by God. You know, I, I, I tell the story. Well, Arlene and I, she's Evangelist Mondo's wife. And I tell the story of how uh, one of our trips, we traveled to Europe together and we had to teach in, in Holland. And she has this, um, you know what an Achilles heel is? Something that really like bugs you? Yeah, she has this Achilles heel with rude people. And so anybody that's rude, it just like, Man, she, all of a sudden, she just kind of like, she wakes up, and she just like barks at them. So here we are traveling together, and uh, 
and we're, we're going along, and, and everything is fine. And then we got a steward that was not really nice. So um, I, I used my mileage, and I got us bumped up to business. And she had never been in business class before. So we're sitting there in business, and she put down the foot thing, and she had her feet up, and she's relaxing, and, oh, this is great. This is great. And so then came time for us to go, because I always let business first. So, uh, so we pick up my, my little foot thing, and, and she can't pick hers up. And the steward comes by, and he says, excuse me, you need to pick up your footrest. And she says, I can't pick it up. How do you pick it up? And he says, well, how did you put it down? And she looked at him, and she says, you're rude. And he says, no, I'm just telling you to pick up your food rest, foot rest. And she says, I don't want to talk to you. Give me somebody else. And I'm like, I'm like I, she is not with me. <laughs> I do not want to be in the same. I was like, I think I'm going to move. And so through the whole trip, this man uh, was wanting to serve her, and she didn't want to be served by him. I told her, you know what? You got an issue with rude people. She said, I know. I know. I don't like rude people. And then she says it loud, rude people bug me. <laughs> so she knows I'm telling this story because I talked to her earlier. And, uh, and so there was a, another time where we, uh, we were trying to catch a flight in London at Heathrow Airport. And Heathrow Airport is a, one of the biggest airports in the world. And getting through the streets of London is very, very difficult. Their streets are very, very narrow. And it took us almost twice as long because of the traffic. So we get there, and there was a lady who was waiting for us. She was actually waiting for us. We checked in our luggage, and she was waiting there. And she said, she had her, her pad, and she said, uh, Mrs. Pineda, Mrs. Gonzalez. And she said, and I said, yes. She says, the plane is leaving. You need to run. Why are you so late? And I just said, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Arlene said, well, it's not our fault. It's your fault. You made those streets too small. And if you would make the streets bigger, we would have been here. And I looked at her and I go, quiet. And she's going, no, I'm telling her the truth. You want to. And then I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm telling her, please, please, just can, you, can we get to the airport? Uh, can we get to our plane? And then she looks at our, and I said, it's, she's okay. Just get, can we, can you get us a ride to the, to, and I'm like looking at her like, be quiet. <laughs> and the reason that I'm telling this story is because sometimes you're going through the wilderness because you're attracting. There's a character in your life that rubs you the wrong way. Rude people don't bug me. You know, you want to be rude, you're having a bad day, pfft, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem. I have a problem with other kinds of people, but not rude people. But that's her issue. She doesn't like rude people. And she, can, she has other great characteristics, but that one stands out. I have, rude people don't bug me, but a lot of other things bug me. I'm not going to reveal them all to you now. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that sometimes you're wondering, how come... All the rude people are coming at me, if that's your issue. And I, like I told Arlene, rude people are attracted to you because that's what bugs you. That is what bugs you. And if you weren't bugged by it, you would let it go. Some of you are attracted to certain types of things that God is trying to grow in you. And you're like, why me? Why do they always come to me? Because you have radar. And the radar says, I don't like rude people. And they're all coming to you. So... 
Wilderness reveals your character. Crafted by God. What are the dangers of these, this type of testing in the wilderness? You can become disillusioned where you say things are not as they're supposed to be. You can become distracted. You're following God and then all of a sudden you look for the shortcut and you go another way. You can become angry. You can become bitter. You can become hard where you can't even hear God's word anymore. You come to church, but you don't hear. You don't let the conviction of the Holy Spirit come and, and really touch your heart anymore. You haven't been to an altar call in a long time because your heart has gotten hard. And that's what can happen when you're out in the wilderness. You just, you get hard. You get bitter. You get disillusioned. You get distracted. All of those things. And, you know, there's only two men who ever became king who never went through the wilderness. And those two men were King Saul and King Solomon. But because they didn't go through the wilderness test, King Saul was consumed by jealousy. He tried to kill David. And King Solomon was consumed by his own passions. He didn't have enough. He didn't have enough money. He didn't have enough women. He didn't have enough wealth. He didn't have enough horses. He didn't have enough of anything. He wanted more and more and more. The testing is going to come into your life and to my life. How we respond depends on what's on the inside. Because there are blessings to the wilderness test. There are blessings. The blessings are that we can see the supernatural work of God. We can't see it in any other way except when, the, when we're in the wilderness. We can receive that assurance that God is going to be with us every step of the way. We can receive that assurance that God will be faithful to us no matter what. He will be faithful. And then we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We see things differently. Not like we used to, but we see them knowing that God is there. And we become mature in our faith and in our Christianity. We develop our ability to endure. If I went through that, you know, the way I see my life now, if I could go through my husband's death, I can go through anything. Anything. Some of you have those kind of things in your life where if you went through that wilderness test, you can go through anything. And that's how I feel. And that's how you need to feel. That if you went through that, you can go through the next one. And you can go through the next one. And you can go through the next one. Because the power of God will be re revealed every wilderness test. The power and the faithfulness of God will be revealed in the next wilderness test. And you will find that you will lack nothing. Nothing. Turn with me to James as I close. Luis, you want to come? James chapter 1. Real familiar portion of scripture, verse 2, 3, and 4. And it says this. Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patient endurance. But by letting that patient endurance have that perfect work in you, it will perfect or mature you and complete you so that you will be lacking in nothing. In nothing. The trial, the wilderness test that you are experiencing right now is just so that you can grow and mature and develop so that you can become that person that God wants you to be. 
that character that needs to be refined, that mind that needs to be transformed, that attitude that needs to be adjusted. Every test, every test depends on our response. Every trial that you're experiencing right now, every wall that you're hitting, some of you may be going through that wilderness test tonight where you're just, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're going through a desert, a total desert, and you can't feel God's presence in your life. I want to remind you today that there is a purpose in that. The purpose is to know him, to know him, to know him. Stand with me tonight. And as Luis begins to sing a song, I want to ask if you're going through that wilderness test tonight and you just want that assurance, you want to know that he's there for you, that you're changing, that you're growing, that you're maturing, that you are becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to be. Or maybe you just need strength for this wilderness because sometimes the wilderness is long and it's hard. Maybe that's what you need tonight. Maybe you haven't been to the altar in such a long time. Or maybe you're here for the first time. You've never accepted him as your personal savior. This is your opportunity to know Christ through the wilderness. And as Luis begins to sing, I'm going to open up the altars for you to come tonight and find strength for the wilderness. A God who loves 